This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 50 of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today, I'm joined by one of the most diligent and thorough researchers that I've ever come across. A man who's done the most comprehensive series about COVID-19, with a whopping 48 episodes deep diving into the elements of its development, rollout, and intended purposes. He's a renowned author, investigator, and podcast host. Ladies and gentlemen, let us welcome William Ramsey. Welcome, William. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you, Drew. Thanks for the invite. Not a problem at all, mate. Um, like I said, your your series on bioweapon blues was as amazing as it was horrifying all at the same time. The amount of information that you managed to to not only get a hold of but present was was absolutely outstanding. So I commend you on your efforts for that. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Now, I wanted to find out myself, you know, I didn't really know anything. So it was really when I started looking through Facebook and died suddenly, that it was like, well, something is going on that they're not telling us. So that was kind of where I went. I actually probably could do another 10 episodes. I literally got burnt out just looking. It's too depressing. Well, yeah, as a, as a listener, as, as in depth as it is, it's, it's a hard one to listen to. You get through the first two or three and you think, geez, how many more of these could there possibly be? But you know, the information's there and that's the horrifying and harrowing thing that this level of uh, information's being kept from us deliberately and it has those nefarious purposes behind it. Now, it's easier said than done, William, but with such an in-depth series of 48-odd episodes, what would the cliff notes in your research just in that series alone be? If you could give someone a, a short little synopsis um, of a reason to go and, and look and listen to your, to your series on that, which I absolutely recommend people should go back through and listen to all of them. But what would your cliff notes or uh, brief synopsis on that be? They lied about everything. So everything is totally deceptive. It's not safe, not effective, not necessary. And a lot of the lockdowns and things were uh, tyrannical. And the censorship censorship is not just an issue of liberty and freedom. It's an issue of life and death. So free speech is crucial to any functioning society. And I think that that was one of the big parts is that it's hard to get that information that I put in there because a lot of it was censored. So I think that would be it. But it's uh, and also is an insight into big pharma and the kind of they talk about a military industrial complex. It's a medical industrial complex that may be more sinister and nefarious than the military industrial complex. And I think that was exposed through these last couple of years. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, even prior to COVID, 
recognize that the government doesn't always have our best interests at heart, but to lose a lot of faith in the scientific, academic and medical community, that was that was a bit of a blow to the guts for people because that's something that people have grown up trusting and putting a lot of faith in. No doubt. It's a great part. Like that was like one of the cornerstones of our societies was the doctors were always objective and not maybe not as money centered, but I think that that mask is, you know, it slipped off. It's no longer the case. And it's really just, I think Fauci is a perfect example of a money driven greed head. Like he and Collins, walked away from this whole fiasco with $300 million in the bank. So they had a vested interest. And so people like raging about fascism when you have it right in front of your face is very strange to me to like see Antifa out in the streets when you have kind of blatant corruption and fascism at that level. So all of the doc, all of the, you know, layouts and rollouts, they were all biased by their own self-interest in money-making. It's sick. Very sick. Yeah, it seems like we, we don't seem to learn from history. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And we definitely saw those elements of rhyme happening in the past three to five years. It's And it's such a big situation that with like the information that you've put out and a lot of other people as well, when will the majority of people, when will they wake up? When will the penny drop? Like you mentioned Died Suddenly, which has a massive following worldwide. There's an Australian page. I'm sure there's a page for every country that's been affected by this. At what point do you think the penny will drop and the majority of people who you would consider to be normies, people that are just going through their average day-to-day life, recognise what's happened? I hope sooner than later. I mean, I think it's really important for people to get off of the old traditional media because I think that was locked up before this whole event happened. So the traditional corporate television media. So as much, as far as people having an exodus out of that, that's how soon and close we will to having kind of a tipping point, as you say. But I think that um, staying on Facebook where there, and YouTube and these kind of corporate things where things are being censored, uh, is a matter really, like I said, a matter of life and death. And I think it's important for people to go to some other, whether it's Substack X, your email lists, uh, something, uh, Rockfin, somewhere you can go and get non censored information is, is crucial to survival, really, honestly. It is. You see, look, people always talk about uh, YouTube is the most accessible channel for putting podcasts or documentaries on because it's so user friendly. Like they set the tone for what online videos are but you were still getting hit with um misinformation and disinformation about covid which stuff that was from maybe the start of the pandemic which has now been proven to be true they're still hitting people for they're dinging them with all these community standards notes which factually have been proven to be true so it's a very strange place to be in very strange so they're there it's a subjective standard Mis and disinformation really is up to the listener to make that determination up to the individual because it really is dependent upon, you know, what they're saying. And a lot of that censorship was driven by the government through third party uh, figures, at least here in the States. We have a huge case. It's uh, Missouri v. Biden, right, against the president and his whole administration. And it's headed to the Supreme Court right now. It's in between, I think, the um, one of the district courts and, and, the, and the Supreme Court. But it's incredible that how many people got censored. I got censored very early on in 2020 and I never expected that to happen on YouTube. I had my channels taken away. I had two channels taken away and really for just telling what I thought was the truth. So, I mean, in some ways it was a, it was a benefit because I got off of YouTube and now I'm on Spotify. So I get a more global reach without any uh, censorship. 
So in some ways it kind of worked out, but still, I never thought it would come to that day where, I mean, it's obviously anti-unconstitutional here in the States. It's against our First Amendment rights. Yeah, there's, the speech. there's some wild stuff going on, particularly in the realm of misinformation and disinformation. I know that in the States you've got the Restrict Act being spoken about. In Australia, it's uh, called the Misinformation and Disinformation Bill, which essentially is going to have an information czar which will, who's not connected to government in any capacity. They're like a private NGO who will be able to dictate what the truth is. That's a very dangerous situation to be in a air quotes democracy of the modern world. Terrifying. It's a ministry of truth. It is Orwell. Like, I mean, can you imagine having somebody tell you what the truth is, especially if they're biased? Like who, who is, who are you going to find an uh, unbiased arbiter? We're all biased, by the way, people have done these studies. Like we got to take bias out of this. Everybody's biased, age, gender, wealth education, things like that. You can never get away from it. And the solution is to have the person who's listening make that determination. That's like the core of free speech. So having some kind of ministry of misinformation is a disaster. It's really been a disaster here. Like these lawsuits are very important. They involve so many people. Uh, Fauci as well was also kind of involved in like pulling the trigger on censorship with his own self-interest. And it's been that slow mission creep, hasn't it? Because it kind of started with terminology from the left wing, things like hate speech and hurtful words. And that was the slow progression into the point where you can no longer combat bad ideas with good ideas. That's the whole idea of a civil discourse and the public platform is just discuss things, weed out the weak from the chaff, identify the truth from the, the false information. And that's how you get to an informed conclusion on things. But Unfortunately, for you know, for our safety, it's another thing for your own safety. Certain language can't be used anymore, which is it's a huge concern. Yeah, that's also the scientific process, right? That's how to get to, to common conclusions is testing and going back and forth. And so it's really crazy how that's going to influence our understanding of science too, is the censorship. So uh, it's a bad. It's just an anti-civilizational situation, really. Like no free speech means tyranny. It's it's equal to tyranny, so uh, it's very dark. It's I've never seen any. I never expected any of this to happen in the United States in my life. So, twenty twenty four is going to be really interesting here too, because there's so many other things at play. We have an election, really that like the world history is going to come down to this election based upon the states and the influence on wars and Israel, Middle East. So this whole it's not just like we're still dealing with dealing with this COVID back situation but the censorship situation in this context it makes it to me even more harrowing yeah it's almost as if like for many i think covid was used for many reasons and had it was a worldwide experiment not just for the medical side of things it was it was censorship it was how much government could push certain control and the censorship on this is almost like they're they're testing grounds of how much they can get away with it and control your speech as a human being now, we, I definitely got you on today to speak about what's coming for 2024, because since 2019, it seems like things have escalated and just kept ramping up to a crazy level that, like you mentioned as well, I never, ever thought we would see in 2023, let alone what could happen this year. So what are a few things that you think might be coming down the pipeline? Well, I think that in the States, they have to steal, the people in power now have to steal another election, just like they stole in 2020. So they're prepping and, and getting people ready to do that again. So I think that that'll be it. And they're actually trying to forestall the kind of like President Trump from running, which is incredible, like taking him off the ballot on things that he hasn't actually been convicted of. Right. So they say that he was part of an insurrection. 
which is uh, a myth, really. Like, if you look at what happened on January 6th, it wasn't a pretty situation, but nobody had guns. And I think that the left here in the States has really done a, a fantastic job of propagandizing things way out of their reality measures definitely it almost looked like a walking tour in some of the shots that i've seen yeah one of the guys was escorted they had to let the the maga shaman out because they saw him being escorted around by the cops so there were (laughs) there were things that happened somebody stole pelosi's uh computer and it's obviously a violation of you know somebody else's privacy rights and things like that so it's not perfect but some of these people got 15 or 20 years sentences just for being nearby so this blown out of proportion is the same with everything trump is a russian asset um you know he's literal hitler this is an insurrection and it's seeped into the legal system like i'm a member of the state bar like this is crazy you cannot just kick somebody off a ballot because you think that he was involved in something that he's never been convicted of like he doesn't even have a contract and then like there's these other like do you want to talk about proportionality inverse proportionality they claimed in one of the cases against Trump that Mar-a-Lago was worth 15 million bucks and that he overvalued it like this is a huge piece of property it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars so they're deliberately manipulating it in a legal process and also the FBI raid i mean you could just go on and on it's a total abuse of power so I, I think it's only going to get worse. Like this is unparalleled in U.S. history. Yeah. And th- all these politicians all have their documents and stuff like that at their home. So it's really absurd to like, you know, f- uh, single out Trump in this regard. A lot of these guys have some delicate paperwork, maybe not top secret, but paper, papers, you know, regarding their job. So it's it's absurd that he was like trying to steal secrets or something. And geopolitically and even culturally, America tends to export its culture, its politics to the world maybe six months, 12 months after the fact. Whatever happens in the States, we watch it from the outside in, seeing what happens. And then what we see working really well, we try to adopt into other Western countries. Australia's got that going at the moment. New Zealand's got it. They've got a conservative government back in again. But I'm eagerly watching what happens with this election because I think you're right that the only course of action for the Democrats or the left-leaning government, the cabal, whatever you want to call the shady people who really run the world, they have to make sure Trump doesn't win. And whether all of these indictments have been a means to try and discredit him and stop him, they've had the unintended side effect of it's actually blown him up and made him bigger than he already was. And for him to lose at this point and have an election stolen from him, what types of civil types of issues could that cause in your country? They're really pushing the whole idea of civil war at the moment. Correct. Then there's a movie coming out about like a future civil war and people have talked about it. I've had guests on my show talking about a potential civil war. And I think it's really going to be an urban rural conflict, which is it, which is what it is now, really. I think the election was stolen out of urban centers, right? There was like very few districts, but they have an over arching influence on fake with these fake ballots so i think it would be something like that and i think that the states will be exercising their rights i think that much more so than they have in the past they've kind of let the federal government kind of roll over them but i think that even the missouri v biden is an example of the states taking back some of their power constitutional power actually because any according to i think the 10th amendment anything that the you know the feds don't do is abrogated back to the states 
So <clears throat> I think uh, that will be the thing. And I think that uh, there is kind of a low level civil war anyway, uh, because they've I mean, this is another global issue, but this migration issue here, it's just totally illegal. Like the Constitution says you're not supposed to be, you know, the government's supposed to protect against invasion. We've been invaded. There's millions of people here being shipped around. They're criminals they're organized criminal gangs. There's a lot of human trafficking and pedophilia, and everybody just kind of looks the other way, at least on one th- the people in power in particular. So that's another kind of huge issue that I think has to be settled. Like you're you're going to devolve into like Mad Max world if the America implodes upon itself. Like then that like you say things influence the rest of the world. The whole power dynamic is already shifting, but it would shift even worse. I think if the U.S. really kind of turned on itself and uh, had this problem. And I think that like people were surprised about the brazenness of the election stealing in 2020, which led to what, you know, January 6th. That was really what it was about, what Trump was railing about and the inactivity of certain people in remedying the situation is very troubling. But um, now they know it's coming. So it'll be much different. Like, I think most of the intellectuals are people who think, know that they have to steal the election. So it'll be just a brazen act. And people will know that they're in a tyranny, like in the front of their face. So that's uh, a troubling place for all these people. I mean, there's so many other uh, components, too, because we're in financial trouble. The U.S. is like the debt costs have gone up and inflation is here. So it's almost like this kind of perfect storm of the situation here in the States that I've never seen. Like we've handled certain crises one at a time. But when you have all of these crises together mixed together in some kind of like dark maelstrom of events. It's like a black swan event or something that's coming. That's so I'm not, I'm not, not optimistic. It's it's certainly not looking good. I liken what's happening in America at the moment being like the cold war, but it's like the precipice of civil war, but that doesn't necessarily need to be kinetic civil war either, because you can see elements within the United States, um, Texas specifically where, Texas, upon joining the United States, had a caveat written in that at any time, if it so wished to as a state, could leave the union. And there's a lot of talk about Texas wanting to secede. And I think if Texas does that and you see like balkanization of other places in the United States, that necessarily doesn't mean civil war. It means that those states are upholding the rights and the um, values in which America was founded on if the current administration is not doing that. If the current administration leadership in America is moving away from what the founding fathers intended and what America is supposed to be, is it really a civil war? Is it protecting what you initially um, had intended for your nation? That's a good question. I mean, I think that's what the secession of the South was what led to civil war, the first slavery civil war, right? So I don't know if the the other states in the union would allow somebody to secede, to be honest with you. So if Texas took the step to secede, it would be pretty dicey because most people believe that there are 50 states and they're meant to be 50 states. And that's kind of like the foundation of the country's power is just this huge population in a large you know landmass. So I think that seceding, I don't know if the others have the, the reverberation to the other states, I think would be something else to see that, to see that actually happen would be extraordinary to allow it to happen would be extraordinary. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though they have the right to do it, actually. I do. Believe yeah. Um, and you mentioned before, unmitigated migration and, and border crossings. America's got the situation where you've got two land borders, one with Canada, one with Mexico. 
Australia's lucky in the fact that we're an island nation, so generally we're pretty good when it comes to that. We had a pretty strong border policy with our Navy and turning boats around. That's since changed under our left-leaning government in which we're only a population of 26 million, very small compared to the rest of the Western world, but our current government has let in 500,000 migrants within the last year, and it's projected to hit 2.5 million by 2025. So percentage-wise, we're getting a huge influx all at once where... In the States, you've got this larger population and what's coming across the border by no means is small numbers, but in comparison to Australia, um, statistically, it's a lot smaller. But we can see what's happening in the States already and we're seeing that happen in real time now. We already know what the in, uh, the intended side effects are going to be for Australia. So we feel what's going on with you guys over there with, with your borders and they're not being protected. Um, you mentioned the financial issues and the huge amounts of debt America is in. At what point does the debt ceiling collapse? We've seen the debt ceiling being extended multiple times in the past couple of years. How long can that keep going on? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know how they can keep, uh, I think the what's necessary to finance the debt is the same as our defense spending, $900 billion a year. It's extraordinary. The numbers don't add up. So you can only kick the can down the street that far until somebody has to deal with it. So, I don't know how that how that goes and how money is going to be loaned. I mean, it's it's weird because when I was growing up, the U.S. didn't have to rely on other countries to finance its its operations, but now we do, and that doesn't seem to be a problem with a lot of these people. They seem to be very uh, who run the country. They seem very comfortable with uh, being a, a debtor nation. So, uh, I mean, it's more financial shenanigans to try to get out of this, but I, I it's think- it's not tenable. No, definitely not. And I think it, it worked while the American petrodollar was was crowned king and it ran the world. And realistically, it still does today. But we're now we're seeing small players kind of come into the game with BRICS. Um, China's amount of debt that they had, that they bought of US debt and the amount of um, what they trade in, the majority isn't US dollars anymore. We're starting to see BRICS come up. More nations try to sign up to this backed by precious metals and resources. So tangible, real things instead of fiat currency. So we can definitely see there's a challenge coming to the reigning Anglo-American empire. Because I'd like to lump in the United States history with the British prior to that. It's almost like the handing over of the baton or handing over the torch. It's that slow progression into a new empire, which fundamentally has kind of had the same global control. It's just changed hats or appearances and it's coming towards that end of that. It's almost that fourth turning point where it's a stage where the empire either keeps going and it goes, comes through the challenges and comes out triumphant on the other end, or there's some kind of change and collapse. I agree. And I think that the, the time of American, kind of the Anglo-American or Pax Americana is coming to an end because I don't think that the it, it's based upon the people's willingness to extend to that. And I think that the American people are at a different phase right now or they want to just work on their own land instead of being involved all over. We've just had a disastrous conflict in Ukraine. It's a pseudo proxy war that really brought us to nuclear brinkmanship, which was crazy, but led to like what you said, bricks in a reordering of this kind of world order where, you know, the uh, Saudis may not, you know, exchange their, their oil for American dollars, things like that. So that's another perilous thing that's outside of even, our financial situation as far as debt. But once the uh, people stop using the American dollar, it's just like, gone. like it's just going to be a just explosion. So uh, 
it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's it's been a time world history post World War II. I don't think anybody would have expected the U.S. to really be as much of a global hegemon as it was because it didn't. It's not part of its kind of internal structure. But something happened after World War II where different people in power and all of the European countries were exhausted. Russia was exhausted. And the U.S. was really able to express itself. But how much more longer than that is, is an open case. And this war in Ukraine, I think, really exposed the weakness of the U.S. in a lot of ways. Um, its leadership is not maybe the brightest. And didn't they don't really think that the current leaders of the United States don't think ahead. They can't think two steps ahead. I think that they're play- checker players instead of chess players, because this is easy to anticipate of this kind of... Uh, reordering of the world empire doing this proxy pseudo war with russia which is incredibly stupid i mean these guys are so stupid like the russians have taken on formidable characters in history napoleon and hitler pretty remarkable people not i wouldn't i'm not making a value moral judgment but they they invaded it yeah the russians ended up in paris and in berlin after this whole thing so the U, these idiots who run our country now or the U.S., like Biden's barely uh, aware, but uh, and it, it, Kamala Harris is a two-digit IQ, but they, they this group that runs this administration seemed to think that they could come out triumphant. I heard a really good critique of uh, the administration's foreign policy. He was on a show here, a Judge Napolitano. He had a couple XCA guys. He said, these guys all got together and this was their best idea. Like that's terrifying. Like, wow, this is a this is their best idea. This worked out. It's wasting a hundred billion dollars. And they were they're thinking about sending another sixty billion over there. And this idiot Zelensky is a guy that we installed. Like he's not an independent guy. He you want to talk about censorship or no uh opposing political parties, he got rid of all that. So it's inc- I mean, the American people are heavily propagandized. And I think that this uh we're in a really a tough spot, I think. Yeah. Now, as as bad as the media establishment is, and how much propaganda gets put onto people, and how much of our our independent thought is kind of guided, controlled, and manipulated, I think since World War Two, particularly, I think Vietnam was the turning point in this, and where media representation really mattered, and the facts started to filter through to people back home. And I think for the most part, Americans, Australians, Brits. We're a lot more informed than we used to be about geopolitics and global affairs. We see what's happening in Ukraine. We see the corruption. We know what money's being spent on it. And the people have, they lack the the want and the need to support foreign wars because no one wants to send their sons or daughters off to die for a bankster's war, essentially. We don't want people to go and die so the military industrial complex can receive unfolded amounts of funding just to push their their weapons. People have wised up to this a lot. So it's the idea of people that the the blind faith in your country and patriotism isn't enough to sway the people anymore. They need to be sold on it. They need real information. It has to be a good argument. Like you said, the governments and the politicians of the world today, they can barely tie their shoes and put pants on like Biden. So how can they ever possibly do that? They can't. People are waking up to it, which is a good thing, but it's also a horrifying thing to wake up to see how how much we've been lied to and the things that we've been made to do as the plebs or the serfs throughout history and even in recent history. Like, Look at the Iraq war. The Iraq war is based on a lie, and even to this day, no one's been held accountable for it. Right, right. No, it's true. 
the Ukraine the conflict is based on a lie too that the Russians invaded Ukraine. Well, there, those borders have been uh, fluid for since World War One, really, even before that. It's not like the U.S. or like Australia's borders have been the same for hundreds of years. No, they've been having border wars and border conflicts forever. So they lied to the American people. But yeah, well, I don't think. I don't think the American people trust their government like they used to. They used to have a lot of faith in their government because the government actually used to provide things. They used to give you the opportunity to own a house, own ownership and not be in debt and actually have a a currency that functioned. And I think now you don't get that from your government. You pay like here in the States, you're a tax slave in a lot of ways. You pay 50 percent of your money to a government that doesn't even provide you services. Like we have to struggle to get health care or even that. I mean, even the insurance doesn't grant you the best health care. So I think that uh, if the government was effective, people would would be more, you know, would receive and, and do their bidding more than they are now. So we're at a much different kind of social time, especially with a lot of lack of trust of being lied to, at least in the States, over and over and over again, almost on every issue. So, I mean, they lied about the war, they lied about the vax and the COVID and all this stuff. So, um yeah, it's it's yeah, like you you like we're talking. You just kind of add another more, more liars to the yeah, more more stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it's not great. It's um the the funny thing is they've changed their tact. We went from Iraq and Afghanistan, where it was intervention by the coalition of the willing, where we actually had boots on the ground, to Ukraine, which is fundamentally a proxy war, which we send our gear to. We do have boots on the ground there, but it's not the capacity and the public knowledge that Iraq and Afghanistan were. So we're pumping out all our gear. Like Australia has um, pound and found one of the best armored transport vehicles in the world. Um, and we've sent majority of ours over there to all be blown up. At very least being captured by the Russians and our technology is being copied now. It's it's just absolute madness that we're doing this and we're allowing it to happen. Um, just, just, to, just to pivot away from, from Ukraine, because that's, I consider, a proxy war. But we look at Israel-Palestine at the moment, Israel-Gaza to be more specific. That's not a proxy war. That's open-air genocide as far as I'm concerned, what's going on there. And the world's just blissfully watching along that and allowing it to happen, particularly America, America's greatest ally, Israel. Um, the establishment and the US government uh, are backing this all the way. You're, you're funding a war on both fronts at the moment. Correct. Janet Yellen said we could afford it. Like it's incredible the, the brazenness of these people, what they're talking about. The the U the US, uh, the, the Israelis have done an excellent job in making sure they have their hands on the levers of power in the US. There's just no doubt about it. So they kind of get what they want. And they've burrowed into like the State Department and APAC has done a great job. I mean, they're really a lot of Americans don't know this, but without the US, Israel wouldn't exist. It's really the U.S. is what it has really provided the backing of the of Israel since 1948. So to have this happen isn't that surprising. Um, so I think that a lot of Americans are kind of outraged by it. They know it's a genocide. It's obvious they're killing a bunch of kids, and going. It's a land grab too. So uh, it doesn't look great. Like I'm pro Israel, but it doesn't mean I'm pro Netanyahu and some of these decisions. And October seventh, seventh was very suspect. But I mean, they they gave the Israelis carte blanche. Like they're, all of their weapons are coming from the U.S. I mean, he, these two thousand pound bombs are being delivered by transport plane. So 
and, uh, and prior to and this, could... Netanyahu wasn't the most popular guy in Israel. There was a huge pushback against him with his policies and the way he wanted to change legal standings where a judge could essentially admit him of all faults if he needed to. Yeah, no, they were having a lot of, uh, you know, protests in the street and things like that weren't great. But now this event, October 7th, kind of solidified everybody like this is a, you know, fight or flight moment. It's kind of like they're 9-11 in a lot of ways. And, and they've mentioned that as much. They've repeatedly said that in their media. This is our 9-11. And what did 9-11 do for America? It united Americans across all creeds, religions, races, political persuasions. You rallied together. And this has done the same thing for Israel. Right. But like you said, I mean, this is this could spiral out well. This could spiral out into a larger war. Like there Absolutely. Could be other participants uh, in serious ones, yeah. Well, that when the war is supposed to be in Gaza and they're actively shelling and bombing Lebanon and other surrounding nations, it's no longer about self-preservation at that point. That seems like it's trying to escalate a larger conflict within the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, I think that it'd be into, I mean, Israel's interest would to be to be to have the U.S. come in and fight with them. So I think that if they provoked that and got that response, that would be in their strategic interest, just like the war against Iraq, right? So maybe that's what they're trying to do is just uh, escalate it to the point where the U.S. has to step in and and use its firepower, which would just be a a huge disaster. I mean, it's just so terrifying. Like, I'm terrified. Biden isn't really that, uh, you know, he's not smart enough to handle a lot of this stuff or probably even put his foot down. He can barely put... So. I mean, this, just one other thing about it, Ukraine. He said that if we lose in Ukraine, U.S. troops could be on the ground. Like he made that, said that statement in his speech. He's obviously not writing it himself, but that should scare all Americans. And this is like what wor- this is what worries me, William, is that that there's a war essentially on two fronts for the West now because we've kind of backed our backed our horses and we kind of have to stick to it for, because the establishment want it. If something really big does kick off in the Middle East, um, this is a military strategist in me. Lebanon has a huge, huge amount, or Hamas has a huge, and Hezbollah, to be specific, has a huge amount of rockets at their disposal. They've got more rockets than the Iron Dome can actually prevent from stopping. So if push comes to shove and they do fire, an absolute hell fire would come down on Israel, which would prompt US intervention. US intervention in a broader conflict in the Middle East, which for a lot of fundamentalist Muslims would be like the call to holy war where everyone would rally together against the invading infidels. That's a big, huge amount of resources all in one spot while something bigger could happen on the Eastern front in Ukraine. Can, can America fight a war on two fronts? The Germans certainly couldn't. Napoleon couldn't. It's like it's history repeating itself with an empire trying to spread itself too thin. I would agree. I think it's uh, very tenuous situation very like uh it could escalate i mean that's usually what happens in wars unless there's an active act of de-escalation that these things get get ramped out of control and i mean same thing happened world war one these mobilizations ended up just this huge great war and then the same thing happened in, in germany just small attacks and then it was the attack against Poland, and then it just exploded into this huge cataclysmic global war. So something like that could easily happen from either of these conflicts, no doubt. And that's the thing that I try to keep in mind is what did people see prior to World War One, World War Two, 
that was the start, but they didn't realize it. And we very well could be seeing the start of a third world war conflict where these well, are small little escalations occurring and happening. And then all it takes is one big player to take advantage. And to my mind, that would be China and Taiwan. If there was American attention being drawn to two major fronts, there's nothing stopping China from taking Taiwan back. There's the Taiwanese set up and their defenses, but without the American backing in of a fleet in that area, Taiwan would very quickly fall to the Chinese. I think so. I think there's absolutely no doubt about that. I don't know. I, I hope not. I hope that the I mean, you don't hear the voices of de escalation. That's the thing. No, but it's clear no word, that this no words for peace anywhere. No. Not from the not from the West. That's the weird thing. There were negotiations. I mean, this is a known fact in 2022. There were negotiations supposedly going to happen between Russia and Ukraine. And and I think Boris Johnson and and D.C. said, no, we're not going to negotiate. So I don't think the I think the Russians are on top. I think basically the Russians have won that conflict at this point, unless the U.S. really gets involved, which would be a totally crazy and deranged, like to be actively involved in that war when our own border is open is totally insane. But I think that the Russians have won. I think that's, that's really what happened. I think, I think they won in a lot of ways. They, they actually kind of had an evolution, if not a revolution in military affairs and their, their weapon systems are better and their effectiveness is better. And they're underestimated again. Like they were, I don't you know, you don't know if they really, the U S really believes its own propaganda, but this was supposed to be, supposed to put pressure on Putin and he was going to collapse. It's so crazy. Their economy and it just did the opposite. Too. Yeah. It's so um, they come out the, yeah. the Russians they have lost got... very few people. Yeah, very yeah, and the I mean, Russians... maybe 60, 70,000. Yeah, sorry William. They they've got such an advantage in this that not only are they their troops getting battle-hardened, they've gone through the conflict of war, they're realizing it, they're getting experience. They're actively fighting NATO weapons, gear and strategy. So they're on they're on the front foot should that that escalate even more because they understand the enemy now. And Ukraine arguably is losing this because they're trying to fight a NATO-style insurgency occupation war in their own country. It doesn't work like that when you're being when you've got a so-called invader, your tactics have to change and they don't seem to be doing that. Their military tactics were terrible. Like, I don't know who who's making those decisions, but they were up against these fortifications and doing things like a first world war. Like, here's the gun, get close and shoot them. That was their tactic. It was so strange. Like, you thought maybe they would do some kind of, like, preliminary artillery bombing or something or have, like, something where you're not expending your men. They didn't have any problem sending half a million Ukrainians to die for nothing. So it's very perverse it's like war pigs or something like that but yeah their tactics well they have the u.s and at least i mean i think it's a pseudo proxy war they're like the u.s really runs ukraine we're paying for their civil service we're obviously installed zelensky in 2014 so the u.s itself has not upgraded or learned anything from this other than they they lost they got their hat handed to them really i mean and the long-term consequences are going to reverberate because Europe is going to not have uh, cheap energy that they used to have, right? Through Nord Stream and these other things. That was the benefit of the Russians is a just overabundance of natural resources. But now that's all going to be gone. They're going to have to negotiate their way back to into Russia's good graces. But I don't know if the Russians are going to be that 
uh, empathetic, honestly. No, there's going to be so, a lot of concessions that will have to be made, and it's it's quite concerning that in comparison to Vietnam, we're not seeing the anti-war protests that we did back then. Like, the left isn't against this war. They're wholly in on it. If we've lost arguably probably more than half a million Ukrainians, that's an entire generation of young men that their like will never see again. That country will be scarred for the next hundred years. And no one's pushing back against this in Europe either. It seems to be, we're all in on this. We're all involved. We have to win. And that's just it. Well, what was one of of the American senators said? um, We'll keep fighting in Ukraine until the last Ukrainian dies. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, those guys, they're they're happy that that the Ukrainians are dying. Like, it's so strange. It's so morally bankrupt. It's just off the charts. Like, I don't understand. The, the, The reason for the war is it just a big grift in a graft anyway? Like it's a military industrial complex making money. Like why would the average American care about a border war in Russia? Like, why do they care that they're, they're the country here is going down the t- tubes. All the urban centers are in t- just a disaster. Like San Francisco is a disaster. And we're worried about somebody halfway around the world that the Russians felt an encroachment of something from us, from NATO. Like it just is, it's just shows it's kind of like the march of folly and the power of the military industrial complex to create, to get people in power, to create conflicts where they can just uh, cash out. That's really it. So I think that that's really, that's really, I think Eisenhower was right. Like, that's really what's really the real thing. Cause the American people, I, they shouldn't care, but I think the problem is, is they're propagandized at least. Absolutely. They yeah, almost weaponized nostalgia of late, that the big push has been everything from the nineties and the eighties is back in vogue culturally. And people are loving it going back through movies, books, entertainment in a lot of ways, the Islamic terrorists kind of fell out of favor and they had to bring back the big bad USSR and Russia's kind of refilled the, the shoes of the cold war enemy. But in the modern age, it's, it's just recycling of the same tactics from my point of view. Russia has been really good to the U S elites that they've always played made the boogeyman for the really the the growth of US power, right? So it's kind of like the Israelis Gaza, right? Or the Israelis Hamas. So ours is the Soviets are the everywhere. And then all of a sudden the US is there in power, right? Because it's a communist revolution or something like that. They've always used them as an excuse oftentimes when there isn't that that threat. So you're right. They dusted them off and Putin is the big bad guy and all that stuff. But uh, I mean, it's just it's just been a total waste. That hundred billion dollars that's been wasted so far of American money could have been put to so much better use here in the States in anything public works or anything like the whole infrastructure of the U.S. is de- is decaying like it's off the charts. And they're just having this crazy war. It's crazy. 2024 is crazy. It's only started. We're January 5th. It's going to be the craziest year, of, uh, at least for U.S. citizens, that we've ever seen in our lifetimes. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Definitely. We've gone through the the broader conflicts, the geopolitical issues, the political issues domestically in the U.S. We've um, seen what can happen with medicine, big pharmaceuticals, when it comes to a global pandemic the Trump card has always kind of been global warming, climate change, that argument. We're starting to see a lot of policies now come into fruition out of that globally. 
My state has banned um, liquid natural gas for new houses and buildings in the state. There's a phase out happening. So if you need a part, say my gas cooker um, has a part fault or it needs to be repaired, they have to, you have to replace it with electric. They will not fix and repair things anymore. Wow. Um, wow. We're having SUVs and large four-wheel drives, anything that's over a certain capacity per litre of um, diesel is not going to be available after 2025. This type of idea of the war against man's global warming, what we're doing to the planet, seems to be the new front. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's all a ruse, and I think it's really kind of a depopulation agenda, anti-human. I think that that's really what sustainability means and all that. And I think that natural gas is a perfect example. It's not going to affect the environment that much once it burns off. So a lot of this this climate change is just total fiction. And almost all the people pushing this whole hoax and scam are old world elites and stuff like that. who really uh, see kind of humanity as a virus. I think that's really it. And I think actually like you're the... The crown has a very, I mean, you can hear Charles III talk and uh, he always likes to talk about sustainability and it has to happen and all that stuff. But you guys are all part of the Commonwealth. We were once, but uh, I don't know if the Commonwealth term actually in truth really applies to the the old British Empire, because I don't think the wealth is meant for the commoners. Definitely not. He um. Our current king, our new sausage fingers king, as I like to call him, he actually signed a new Magna Carta, and it's a Magna Carta of the universe. So ensuring that the universe is protected and untainted. So he's going along with this idea of humans are bad and we have to try and protect the environment type of a deal, which just goes straight into a depopulation agenda, like you said. It's a situation where the elites almost kind of see themselves at, at this God level and where the, the muck and the germs that need to be wiped from existence because we're dirty and we're bad and they can live in their ivory towers. Yeah, I think that's not, hasn't changed much. I think that that's kind of a, a standard elitist view and it's just coming to the fore again. You know, it just comes out in its ugly way. We haven't had just Titanic wars or stuff like the elites rely on people to fight the wars for them so now that there hasn't been some kind of global catastrophe uh now it's like the it's the class system and the peasants have to be done away away with and that's the way their attitudes always been useless eaters here they have it here we kind of pretend to ourselves that we're a classless country the u.s it's total nonsense we have a total elite aristocracy and rockefellers and all these eastern elites are real and they're running every gore and carry that's why those guys are the ones yapping on about climate change. They're just Eastern elites whose daddy's 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 daddy goes way back and they have money. Now, I don't think they're very skilled, actually. I don't think they're very sharp. But, yeah, the King Charles, he prorogued. Like, he actually made edicts about censorship in the U.K., is my understanding. So he literally just, you know, as a... Hereditary monarch just made a decision for everybody. He didn't yeah. even go past the com- house, the House of Commons or the House of Lords. He just did it. So people who think like, oh, these guys are are dead letters or they have no power, no, no. Charles just wielded his power as king, and all a lot of those guys who are in your governments are lackeys, like Trudeau. Trudeau has, is a is a member of the Privy Council, so he's doing a lot of this stuff. Like if you saw all of these abuses of power. It all goes back to the top. Definitely. And it comes back to, you mentioned 
the idea of a black swan event earlier on in our conversation that how much of the the huge effects in climate that we see happening with these air quotes unusual storm fronts or cyclones or tsunamis how much of these extreme weather events we're seeing actually manufactured by say the military industrial complex or scientific community how much is being used we know that um, project popeye in vietnam was a way of cloud seeding to try and flush out the Viet Cong from the mountains you can hypothesize the technology has gotten a lot better since then and we tend to see all of these weather events happening in major populated areas in regional places, particularly in Australia, that tends to drive people into the major cities, which almost lines up with the 15-minute smart cities agenda. Right. Yeah, you're seeing it rolled out on a global level. And I think a lot of the World Economic Forum stuff is actually backed by old royalty or old world people like King Charles III and his uh, nobility all through Europe and all through the world, really. So. I do think that there are directed energy weapons. I've done a thing on what happened in Lina, on Maui. Like, that was very strange. and seems like that was whipped up. And that's probably what these elites really want, is just to have a firestorm go through and wipe out a bunch of families and kids. I think that's really sad, but I do think that that's true. And they covered that up in the U.S. You think that there's, like, no caps on stories. They made sure that the death of those kids, like thousands of thousands or 2,000 kids, was taken right off the media and right out of the public mind because they'd be outraged and they should be. It's really just a total failure of the government in Maui and whoever's running, you know, whoever's running Hawaii really, because they have tsunami alarms or anything like that, but they knew the wind was coming too. So it's very, it's like when you see these kind of laydowns or stand downs, it's very suspicious, but I do think that a lot of these um, storms could be uh, facilitated by these governments to, to bolster the story, right? Oh, we got to have, you know, you guys can't have nice things anymore. Sorry, because of global warming or climate change, which really doesn't mean anything. Climate's always been changing for since, you know, humans walked the earth. It's ridiculous. It's it's, it's, it's transparently comedic. I mean, you should like, yeah, it's there not, was a really, yeah, sorry. Sorry, what were you going Well, I was going to say Gore was at the World Economic Forum talking about the effects of climate change, like ranting about, how every day there's like the equivalent of 10,000 Hiroshima's in the ocean. And it's just like your propaganda. I hope it doesn't work for me. I don't know if that works for everybody else. It's so lurid. It's not even good propaganda. It's the propaganda they continually get proven wrong on, but then some kind of event will happen. And they go, see, that's evidence. Man-made climate change. We're causing it. Australia had some of its worst bushfires in the past um say 10 years collectively and you would have seen overseas that we had pretty much the entire eastern coast of australia was on fire at one point and it just so happens to coincide with where the government wants to build a fast rail and a lot of the places we've had floods in north queensland and new south wales lismore particularly they're rezoning properties because they're no longer insurable because of these natural events air quote so it's the Hegelian dialectic for problem, reaction, solution. They create the problem through potentially, and I use this very loosely, potentially man-made caused directed uh, weather modification. They cause the event. They say, oh, see, this is your fault as a population because you're using your gas burner um, stoves and you're driving your diesel vehicles. So now right, you can't your fault. live. Your fault. You can't live in a regional area now. You have to move to the city because that's the only place you can get insurance on your house. And people are pushed out. They, the cost of living in regional areas where you're rezoned is astronomical. Wow. 
Yeah, they're they're corralling people into the the cattle into a new pen. You're seeing it take place all over the world. People need to resist. And the whole the whole farce about uh, climate change or global warming is like one Krakatoa has released more <laughs> like carbon in one explosion than all the cars in the world. Like it's total farce. Like Krakatoa actually affected the sunsets around the world for like 20 or 25 years or something. There was so much ash thrown out into uh, the atmosphere, but yeah, no, they're, they're manipulating people. They, they have to make sure you're credulous. I think that's really starts as the average person has to be credulous and trust them to actually do what they say. And the fact that they're trying to get you to do these things, I think is really part of their kind of like, um, you know, Georgia Guidestones uh, things. I think that they're really horrible, evil people. And, and we, they we don't want to let us just live. Yeah. No, we see that through the propaganda, um, William, that's they play the hand very obviously. The latest few articles I've seen popping up in my feed of late are how humans expel X amount of CO2 when the global overpopulation is an issue. And if it gets any more, any worse, or yeah. population explodes more than it is, we're going to have to really start considering having birth caps in certain countries. Um, oh, I think to myself, so crazy. they are really pushing this false narrative of the world is overpopulated. It's, it's clearly proving the point that they just want to depopulate. And that's what they're trying to get to without saying it. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. If more CO2 comes out of humans, that means trees have more food, right? So yeah, better for my crops. Trees, like this awesome. Certain, I can yeah, grow more fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's really absurd. Like they're really, like I said, they're relying on your credulous, our people's credulousness to kind of get all that stuff out, but it's not good. And the other thing is like, if these populations contract the whole political spectrum, like in generations, two or three generations will totally change because the same kind of works and public works and tax base contract, it'll cause incredible political change. Like things like you wouldn't, people wouldn't believe you need to have a sustainable population at this. They don't want it. You, it's sustained at 7 billion, but um, yeah, I think that, I mean, I, I saw some like stats on Musk, like in two or three generations and under the procreation age is like, you're in a disaster zone. That's just crazy. Yeah. They've done a, a really good job at tax farming to people to the point where they can only have 1.5 children or one, two kids and that's dropping even with this generation. More and more people aren't having children, which kind of justifies the argument for why immigration needs to occur in such high levels. It's that um, problem uh, reaction solution again in that. I would say the uh, maybe another axiom is order out of chaos. They'll create the chaos and it'll be their new order or new world order, if you will. Absolutely. So. Now, we've gone over so many possible ways that 2024 could go and the things that are at play, all the cards that are on the table, but particularly for a black swan event, I know you're a very well read person and you've, you've researched a lot of topics. What's your gut instinct and your gut feeling say a potential black swan event could be. If it was to narrow down to one thing, if you could. It's a good question. I would, I would think they would want to have either kill Trump or an EMP so they could strip all the knowledge off of the, the internet. I think they hate the internet because it actually allows for this to happen or people to actually come up with opinions that are their own instead of whatever's force fed to them. So I think it's either get rid of Trump and that would just be a, I mean, 
it would be a disaster. Like people would just go crazy here. There's enough people with guns. Like they took your guns away. They wanted to take our guns away. They've always wanted to take the guns away of Americans, but that's kind of our last stand here of freedom is the ability to defend ourselves. So yeah, EMF attack. That's what I'd say. Yeah. And that's definitely my concern. I think that Americans are just so divided across political lines at the moment that if the last one was stolen, which I tend to believe it was, What's the reaction going to be this time if it's if it's blatantly stolen again? People are upset, they're angry, they see how manipulated and twisted the system is. What recourse would people have? And I think a lot of people who are who are blackpilled on the subject could go off and do horrible things, which I think is what they kind of want people to do. They want that order out of chaos. They want their overtop reaction to it so that they can put boots on the ground, martial law, and take control the way they want to. I mean, I think that if they can get away with it, they might do that. That would really be it if they could do it. I don't know if they really could. I don't know if the Americans would, would go along with that. Um, I don't think that, I think the most thinking people know what's going on is bad and they're anticipating it. I mean, from even, I mean, I'm kind of a small voice. Even the bigger commentators here, like Tucker Carlson and all these other people, Jones, uh, maybe on the alternate media are saying, hey, this is, you're going to see stuff you've never seen before. So I think the public is ready for that. And, They've seen so many scams and things done by their elites here in D.C. that they, they just don't trust them at all. So I think that there could be decisions being made, like I said, devolves to the states or something that um, could happen. Like, I mean, I think that if the election is stolen again, that's what it'll be is the states will be like, well, we'd reject this. We reject you. This is stolen. This is a fake president. I think that'll be actual like responses from the states that didn't happen before, you know, because I think that the information in the last four years that's come out, I think conclusively shows that there's ballot fraud, at least definitely in Georgia, in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. I mean, it's a massive operation. So I don't, I, don't, I mean, I have to go back through and look through that stuff, but yeah. So it's, the consequences are very severe. Yeah. It's certainly not small potatoes by any measure. Uh, you mentioned the idea of an EMP blackout. I know you'd probably be aware of the Netflix film, Leave the World Behind, I think that puts in the conscious of a lot of people the very real situation of what could happen if the switch was flipped and everything was turned off. The idea of through um, no information, not knowing what's going on, disinformation, all these things occurring at once, that's how you bring a country down is from within the inside, get it to turn on itself. And I think if they didn't do it the election way and the internet, the power system, everything was switched off, that's probably a really good way of doing it because... As soon as people become hungry, they're going to start tearing each other apart. People that were usually very good neighbors, as soon as your kid's life is on the line or they're hungry, people can do horrible things under very stressful situations. The worst. Both both the Russian Revolution and the French Revolution, were the, the, the fuse was lit because they didn't eat. Like, that's what happened. A woman didn't get her bread in 1917 and chucked a brick through the window, and that started the whole unwinding of the entire Romanov dynasty. The same thing happened in Louis the 16th, right? There was a, a failure to eat, let them eat cake. And that was really it. So if that happens here, you'll see the worst people are already kind of angry here in the United States. So you're getting people more consistently angry when it's going the wrong way. And so if it keeps going that bad, like, America, I mean, the country, the U S it's a violent country, like under the surface, a lot of people think like, they see the U.S. through the lens of Hollywood or TV shows. This country was really violent. And was, there was huge fights between indigenous, 
Europeans and there's slavery and there's always conflict right now. So a lot of that stuff could flare up again because people retract when they get insecure, they start making decisions that they didn't make before. And people tend to go back into their, their small in preference groups. So they tend to go back into religious groups or go back into racial groups or into political ideologies instead of being, say, an American first. It's like the idea of shaking the the jar full of ants and they start fighting each other. It's not the ants attacking each other that's caused it. It's a person shaking the jar. And that's what the situation of an EMP very well could be. Yeah. Sorry, I said EMP. EMP is right. Yeah. But yeah, well, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. This is January fifth. Just mark this this conversation as like, and let's see what happens all the way through the year, because I think that the uh, it'll be some interesting events. Yeah, I think there's that. To, yeah. William, there's that much up the the sleeves of the the people that run the world that we could really scattergun approach any possible theory. And we're probably guaranteed to hit at least one on the head within the next 12 months, at least one. But like you said, we'll stamp this and we'll see what comes true within the next year, my friend. Right. It's like the bingo card, right? Yeah. The 2024 bingo card. I'll put one together. I'll send it to you and then we can see which (laughs) ones happen over the next year. Because a lot's going to happen, I'm sure I assure you. Absolutely. Well, William, for the people, my listeners who haven't heard you before, where can I find your work? Uh, I have a podcast that's in the top 0.5% of podcasts in the world. I cover a lot of different subjects, true crime, parapolitics. Um, you can check that out at William Ramsey Investigates. My website is William Ramsey Investigates if you want to see some of my writings. And also I have a Patreon with all five of my documentaries on them. You can go to Patreon, William Ramsey. Check that out. And I post a lot of my shows there without ads so people can listen to them without having to be bombarded with 10 ads. So some people prefer that route as opposed to listening to my show on iTunes or Spotify. Awesome. Like I said, thank you for your diligent research. What you've done is amazing. Keep the great work coming, my friend. And we'll have to catch up again towards the end of the year to see if any of this has come real. Yeah, keep in touch. Thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Good to talk with you. Hey, everybody. It's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.